listening. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WBET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Aside from immigration, there is perhaps no other area of federal policy that was so much affected by the Trump administration than the environment. After the reversal of more than 100 environmental regulations over the last four years, President-elect Joe Biden faces a monumental task getting the nation back on track concerning climate change when he assumes office next week. So far, Biden has assembled a pretty diverse group for his climate team. But the question is whether his vision can unite the progressive and establishment wings of the Democratic Party, which have their own significant disagreements. Later in the hour, we're going to look specifically at what's at stake for Michigan and the Great Lakes region under the Biden administration's policies. But first, here to tell us about what's in store for national climate policy and regulation under President-elect Joe Biden is Lisa Friedman. She is a reporter on the Climate Desk, focusing on climate and environmental policy in Washington for The New York Times. Lisa, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, thanks for being here. So President-elect Biden says he's put together a team that is going to prioritize clean energy jobs and environmental protection as a foundational part of his economic plans. Tell us why this intersectional approach to climate change and our nation's economic health is significant. That's a great way of, of putting it, and, and I think that is, you know, um, you know, as I cover the Biden, uh, the incoming Biden administration, it is incredibly clear that the way they are looking at climate change is, um, uh, you know, completely intersects with economic development. Um, that's the both the the message they're pushing, and that is uh, reflected in the people that they're hiring, um, who who have you know long history and expertise in clean energy development, in bringing uh, clean energy to market. Um, you know, there's there's going to be a lot of sticks in this approach, in this carrot and stick approach of dealing with climate change. There are going to be new regulations. There, They are going to reverse, uh, um, you know, the rollbacks that the Trump administration had put in place and go further than the Obama administration. But what they're focusing on now, both in rhetoric, personnel, and and policy, is a, I'd say a carrot approach, which is um, basically you know putting money into uh, everything from you know electric vehicles to efficiency and looking at ways to to develop jobs while bringing the economy back. Hmm. Uh, so. Within the Democratic Party, there is pretty significant disagreement about the extent to which we ought to be uh, making changes to deal with uh, with, with, with climate. Uh, and I, we don't have time to go into too much detail about every person that the president has nominated to be part of this team. But, but give us a sense of the overall politics of the climate team that the president-elect has assembled? Is this representative of sort of the center of democratic politics or is it further to the left? You know, it's it may be too early to tell. Rather than, you know, center or left, I think the, the strongest trend that you're seeing are um, known 
competent hands who have been in government before and know how to pull the levers of both bureaucracy and power and politics. Um, you know, you have John Kerry, the former Secretary of State, who uh, uh, President-elect Biden has put into a unique position um, leading international climate affairs. He'll be, uh, he'll have a seat on the National Security Council. Mm -hmm. So you will have climate change considered in every foreign policy decision. You have Gina McCarthy, the former head of the EPA under Obama, leading a White House policy uh, um, office on climate change. So these are, you know, he just named Janet McCabe, um, deputy administrator of, of the EPA. She ran the air office under President Obama. Hmm. So what you have at the top are people who have been in government before, who don't have a learning curve, um, and, you know, can can really hit the ground running. Um, back to this idea of intersectionality between climate and the economy. Uh, during the Great Depression, we saw the Civilian Conservation Corps, for instance, begin, and it created green jobs. Green jobs are, are the kind of things that, that we've heard a lot about in the last 20 years. Uh, our former governor, uh, Governor Grand, Jennifer Granholm, was one of the people who kind mm -hmm. of led that, that at the governor's level. Uh, the, the the talk about that. How how realistic is that in 2021? Are there things that we can learn from the past there? Uh, and is there an opportunity for the Biden administration to to push further in that way than uh, than we have recently? Yeah, I mean the um, you know whether or not um, you know the, the, the job creation question is, has always, um, you know, been there. Do, do, does clean energy really develop, really create jobs, good jobs, how many jobs, um, you know, and, and every, everyone who ran for president had a, a different level of, of, you know, number of jobs that they promised that they would create in their climate plan. Um, I think that, that Joe Biden's plan uh, says it would lead to 10 million, but I, I would, I'm afraid I need to, to, to check it. Um, so, you know, yes, I mean, if, you know, it, it will, it will cost money to create those jobs. There will have to be enormous investment of federal money, but, you know, one of the things that, uh, that Biden has, has put out there is creating hundreds of millions of electric charging stations mm. all over the country, for example. Mm. Um, those kinds of, you know, and and, and um, improving energy efficiency in buildings all over the country, millions of buildings. So all of those kinds of things are ones that this administration says will create well-paying, lasting jobs. I think that's something that we'll need to, you know, truth squad as, as the, the plans roll out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Lisa Friedman. She's a reporter on the Climate Desk at the New York Times. She focuses on climate and environmental policy in Washington. Uh, we're talking about the incoming Biden administration and how they will deal with climate change, how different that will look from the last four years when the Trump administration 
pretty much de denied that, uh, that we had any sort of climate crisis and undid a lot of federal policy that was designed to deal with uh, that issue. Um, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Uh, tell us what your expectations are for uh, change on this front when Joe Biden becomes the president of the United States on January 20th. Uh, are you a climate activist here in Detroit? Uh, how and what are you doing to make sure that we continue to pay attention to the environment? And how much are you looking forward to the change in Washington? What do you hope the new president will focus on? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313 313- Five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Uh, let's start with Jim in Gross Point Words. Uh, Jim, welcome to the show. Uh, Stephen, thank you uh, for having me on. I really appreciate your coverage of uh, climate change and also in general the piece that WDT ran on the uh, course on race and climate change from Western Uni uh, Michigan University. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead, Jim. Uh, and what I, what I wanted to bring up is something that, uh, and I've been active in climate change, uh, worked uh, with Citizens Climate Lobby for a number of years, been to Washington many times. But really, uh, I've been looking into... Uh, with uh, the local chapter of Veterans for Peace and the national committee they have of U.S. militarism and climate change. So a lot of folks don't realize that uh, if the U.S. military were a country, it would be the 37th larger emitter of greenhouse gases in the world. Mm. And as an institution, it would be number one. Uh, also, and this is a problem that's not just the you know, Democrat versus Republican. In the 1997 Toyota, uh, Toyota Protocols that was negotiated by the Clinton-Gore administration, they stipulated that uh, emissions by military, and that's not just the U.S., but any military, could not be included as far as the, the country's total emissions. Thankfully, that was uh, hmm. removed in the Paris Agreement, but it still wasn't specified that you had to include those emissions. So... This needs to be considered in future climate uh, policies. Yeah. Uh, Jim, I I'm really glad you called and, and made that point. It's something that I don't know a lot of folks are aware of or, or, or thinking about. Uh, Lisa Friedman, that's another, I guess, uh, example of the, the intersectional approach to this, that, that there are things that maybe we're not thinking of that could help reduce you know, uh, carbon emissions and, and the other things that, that are driving the warming of the planet. The military is is one of the big ones. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, what we're, you know, another thing that we're seeing out of this, this, this incoming administration talks a lot about a, a whole of government approach on climate change. And, you know, so we're looking to see how is not just the military addressing climate change, but we're we're expecting that Health and Human Services is going to be working on issues, um, you know, looking at the link between climate change and and risks to human health. Um, you know, we could see we could see things out of the Department of Agri Education. Certainly, the Agriculture Department um, is looking at ways to you know um, to to work on climate change with farmers um, and you know and, and land use. Uh, 
So, you know, these things are just starting to uh, to beef up. You know, we're we're, we're seeing. Um, you know, a lot of uh, sort of white papers in Washington. Washington loves papers. Um, and, you know, and, and but, you know, even personnel is policy. So we're, we're looking to see, you know, who this administration puts into place in all of these other agencies that have not previously focused really, certainly not in the, in the, you know, obviously in the Trump administration, which denied climate change entirely, but, you know, even in the Obama administration, really only tangentially or, or sometimes, sort of flicked at, at addressing climate change. Um, you know, we're being told that these agencies, all of the agencies, Treasury, the Housing Department, will will all have a role, um, that, you know, in, in the next four years mm. in, in addressing this issue. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask about the U.S. Senate. Uh, yeah. With both Georgia runoff elections going apparently to Democrats, I think that's uh, pretty certain at this point, uh, the party now has this narrow majority in the Senate, and you've already seen some climate activists pushing Democrats toward the Green New Deal and other really progressive uh, climate policies. What will we see in terms of, I guess, that push and pull between the executive and the legislative branches uh, on this on this climate change question? I think I'd say, you know, for, for your listeners who care about climate issues, you are going to learn the name of Joe Manchin from West Virginia. <laughs> um, Manchin, Manchin, Manchin. He's going to be a very important figure. He's uh, he um, a conservative Democrat used to be governor now is a member of the U.S. Senate from that state. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, cares very deeply about, you know, the future of of his coal-dependent state, um, also has worked on a number of, of clean energy and energy efficiency issues, is open to things like a clean energy standard. Um, he is going to be the the swing and, and potentially most important vote, not just on climate, but on, on a lot of things uh, in this closely divided Senate in the, year, in the year to come. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Lisa Friedman, reporter on the Climate Desk at the New York Times. Really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for joining. Thank you. We're going to take another quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with environmental law professor Nick Schreck. And he is going to talk about the fate of important climate issues here in Michigan just as the Biden administration gets started. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks very much for joining. We're talking about the Biden administration, which begins on Wednesday, January 20th, and how it will approach climate change and climate policy differently from the Trump administration. No question, it will look very different than what uh, we have seen over the last four years as the Trump administration has withdrawn from a lot of the climate policy that was already in place and really done some damage to just the very idea that there is a climate crisis going on. Uh, but how different will the Biden administration be and what will they be able to achieve? We just talked with Lisa Friedman of the New York Times about the national perspective there. I want to welcome Nick Schreck, who is an associate dean of experiential education and associate professor 
at the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law to talk about locally how the Biden administration's changes will look, both in terms of the state of Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Nick, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Yes, great to have you here. So let's recap just how much the Trump administration stripped away from environmental regulations and what impact it had on us here in Metro Detroit. Wow. Yeah. Um, you know, close to 100 federal regulations, um, you know, were rolled back or were in the process of being whittled down by the Trump administration. And that includes all sorts of things from, you know, air pollutants to water pollution discharges, you name it. Um, There's a lot of stuff that was on the chopping block. So fortunately, a lot of that can either be reversed or um, sort of the impacts of that lessened by the Biden administration. And I think what's exciting is that this focus on climate change with, you know, you look at the, the appointees of people that are that are named for these key positions in the incoming Biden administration. This focus on climate change will have a lot of benefits to the Great Lakes region above and beyond just trying to get our country on the right path in terms of climate. And what I mean by that is by, you know, shutting down older coal-fired electric power plants that will improve air quality here in the region. Um, you know, we can look at infrastructure investments and things like sewers and wastewater treatment plants to try and decrease the amount of pollution that gets into the Great Lakes. You know, even things like human waste that actually feeds algae and other other harmful uh, plant growth in the lakes. So there's a lot. You know, there's, there's a lot that was definitely, uh, like I said, on the chopping block during the Trump administration. And it's exciting, I think, for, for people working on climate and the environment to maybe play a little bit of offense. You know, we've, we've been in this defensive posture for a while now. Hmm. So are you hopeful that the Biden administration will be effective in getting us back on track? I know that uh, all of the things that they are saying right now suggest they'll go in a different direction, but how effective are they likely to be? Yeah, you know, one of the things that was interesting about the Trump administration was that um, I think, you know, we learned from just an observer perspective that you really need people in leadership positions at the Environmental Protection Agency. There's another agency called the Council on Environmental Quality that's less well known, but very important for federal environmental policy. You know, you need to have people in there, including attorneys who know the ins and outs of the systems, to be able to actually get the policy proposals you know, from the White House through the, the executive system um, and implemented and then out into states where, of course, states then have what we call delegated authority, where they implement a lot of these federal laws. And, you know, you need to have people that are that kind of know the inner workings, the you know, be inside the belly of the beast to know how things work there. And, and so I think you'll see a, a difference in the Biden administration at effective administrative action meaning not necessarily working through Congress all the time, but through the power that the federal agencies have. Mm. I think they'll be a lot more um, skilled and um, intentional in their approach, whereas I think with the Trump administration, often you had staff and appointees that were scrambling to try and deal with the whims of the president day to day. And so I think you'll see a much more focused agenda and they'll be able to be more effective. The other key point is what you know you were just talking about, Stephen, is is the Senate and um, the fact that those, those two Senate seats in Georgia will swing control to the Democrats in the Senate chamber. I mean, that's something where they will be able to get through some legislation. Um, and, and there's a hope that we'll see aggressive proposals. Certainly a lot of folks in the environmental community are pushing for things, you know, like the Green New Deal, but, you know, really aggressive congressional action. Um, and so, you know, now that they've got 
the, the Senate there, and, and a lot of the the folks that ran for Senate, people that you know ran for the House of Representatives, they were running on a, an agenda focused on climate change and on improving air quality and improving quality of life for our residents. So, you know, I, I think you're going to see a demand of action there in Congress, and I think you'll have a receptive president, President mm-hmm. Biden. So I, I want to talk about environmental justice and in the context of the Biden administration, but of course, in the context of of Detroit and and uh, the Great Lakes and all of the issues that we have become much more aware of, I think, uh, here in the last uh, in the last few years, what what will be the strategy for addressing that, and how effective might might that be over the next four years? Yeah, I think you'll see a focus on trying to you know transition sources of electricity continue that transition away from dirtier fuels like coal and natural gas um, towards more renewables like wind and solar. The, the cost of solar energy has just decreased dramatically. And, and that's actually a big credit to the Obama administration um, that they haven't gotten a lot of credit for that, but they invested a lot of resources, a lot of energy in bringing down the cost of solar um, to the point now where, you know, here in Michigan, where, as we all know, we don't have a lot of sunny days year round um, compared to the southwest or other parts of the country. Um, when the sun comes out this time of year, it's like you feel like you have to throw a party. Um, but even here in Michigan, solar is becoming affordable. And we're even, you know, seeing companies um, moving in, for-profit companies that are trying to you know, lease people's roofs, space on their roofs to install solar panels. So I think you'll see that transition. And what the benefits for environmental justice is that when we shut down or when we retire older coal-fired power plants like the, the plant there in, in uh, River Rouge, Michigan, or in Trenton, Michigan, those coal-fired power plants, that has real benefits and improved air quality. And then that translates into better health for our, our citizens. So lower incidence of asthma, people with um, other underlying health conditions, they, they can um, breathe easier, literally, by shutting down some of those dirtier sources of electricity. Longer term, you know, looking towards things like battery-powered vehicles in a much more aggressive way than we have already, that will, you know, hopefully lead to reduced need to refine oil. Um, and so, you know, you look at one of, again, the major sources of air pollution here in Detroit, the Marathon um, Oil Refinery, mm-hmm. you know, looking over time about getting away from those types of fuels has a lot of benefits for people that live in the community next to these facilities. And so, it, you know, it seems a little bit like kind of a, a, a secondary consideration, but really environmental justice is at the forefront of the thinking um, of the folks coming into the Biden administration. And they really are considering things like public health, things like um, the, the educational attainment and possibilities of people that live in these fence line communities. And they're focusing on strategies to try and you know get us off those dirtier fuels, transition to renewable energy, and then all of those related um, health and quality of life benefits that come with that. Mm. Uh, I'm talking with Nick Schreck, Associate Dean of Experiential Education and Associate Professor at the University of Detroit Mercy School of Law. We're talking about the Biden administration's approach to climate policy and how it will play out here on a local level in Detroit and Michigan and in the Great Lakes region. Uh, Nick, I want to talk uh, specifically about the Great Lakes and what we've mm-hmm. seen from the administration over the last four years, which was uh, an attempt to defund uh, the programs that have been trying to maintain and restore those lakes. I think it's a foregone conclusion that uh, the Biden administration won't continue to do that. But I think a bigger question is, uh, what might they do to to enhance uh, 
preservation and improvement of uh, of the health of the Great Lakes. Yeah, and this is critically important as we've seen um, with high Great Lakes levels over the last couple of years. We've had you know all of the flooding and erosion that we've seen around the state and around the region, and so. You know, looking at opportunities to invest more in natural systems, um, you know, people may have heard of the term green infrastructure, and that's really the idea of investing really in our natural systems, you know, promoting wetland habitat, meaning areas that where you kind of have that near shore area between the water's edge and, and inland. And those, those areas act like a sponge and they can absorb water when you have uh, flooding and, and storm events and that kind of thing. And so, you know, trying to restore some of these natural systems that we've lost, that costs money. You know, it takes people with expertise to go out there and do an assessment of the site and put a plan together and then actual dollars to do some of the, you know, it, it sounds funny, but we have to sort of re-engineer um, a lot of our shorelines to get them back into a more natural state. That has all sorts of benefits for water quality and can also help uh, prevent against erosion and flooding. So that's just one example. Another thing I mentioned at the outset is infrastructure in terms of the grade. Mm-hmm. So the, the built infrastructure like sewers and pipes and treatment systems. We have a lot of aging infrastructure around the Great Lakes. You know, we've heard about the sewage overflows and how harmful that can be to the ecosystem. And remember, we get our drinking water from the Great Lakes. So to the extent that we can keep waste from getting into the water, and, and this is a bigger threat with, with climate change because when we have these intense rainstorms, those big, massive rain events, they can force waste and sewage and other things into the Great Lakes through these combined sewer systems that we have in many of our cities. So all of that stuff can be fixed, but it takes investment and it takes you know really um, aggressive, intentional policy proposals and then carrying those out um, from the federal government. So, so those are things that we're hopeful around the Great Lakes region that we'll see some attention from the Biden administration. Okay. Nick Schreck, uh, professor, associate professor at the University of Detroit uh, Mercy School of Law and associate dean of experiential education there. Always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks very much for joining us Thanks, on this Stephen. topic. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. Come back Monday for Martin Luther King Jr. Day. We're going to continue our tradition here on Detroit Today of listening to Dr. King's original I Have a Dream speech, which was delivered right here in Detroit in June of 1963. And award-winning poet and activist Carolyn Randall Williams will join for a wonderful conversation on that show as well. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.